reason for the season. It's, it's a bit confusing when you look at the advertising, isn't it? Turns out it's for the festive KFC Mighty Bucket. And after, if that's not enough, you can go for the uh, celebrating the most magical time of the year at the McDonald's festive menu. Or there's the Cups of Merry at Starbucks. Or there's 50% off Merry Sale at uh, House of Fraser. Can I, what's missing? Who's missing? Uh, Christ is notably absent from much of the advertising this Christmas. And so w- what we've done uh, over this Christmas season 2017 is that we've uh, wanted to give seven reasons why Jesus came. And this morning we're going to look at uh, one of the re- reasons recorded from the mouth of Jesus himself. And you'll need a Bible, so if you don't have a Bible, put your hand up. Uh, but if you have a Bible, please turn to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to look at verse 17 to 20 this morning. And that's page 969 in the church Bibles. So if you haven't got a Bible, just stick your hand up. I'll bring you one. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 to 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's just take a moment again to pray. Father, we thank you that you have sent your Son as our Savior into the world. Help us, Lord, to grasp what he meant when he said these very words. Give us peace and hope this Christmas. We ask this in his name. Amen. So there, verse 17, is one of the reasons why Jesus came. Do not think I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Have you ever had a Christmas sermon on this verse before? I doubt it. I doubt it. This was Liam's series. And uh, Don Carson told me in my commentary this week that this is one of the hardest texts in the Bible. So thanks, Liam, for that. Uh, but this does sound a bit unpromising as a, as a Christmas verse. But actually, if we, can, if we can understand it in the context of the whole Bible, actually this means that there, there is hope for every single one of us here this evening, this morning. What does Jesus mean when he speaks of the law and the prophets? Well, it's a way of referring to the Hebrew Scriptures, which is kind of, 
all the pages that come before Matthew in our Bibles here. Um, they were completed 400 years before Jesus was born. What do you think of when you hear the word law? Well, if you're a lawyer in the room, you're thinking ka-ching. But for the rest of us, we're kind of thinking to ourselves, oh, those, those are rules with consequences that, that could get me into trouble. But for the Jewish hearers uh, who would know exactly what he was talking about, they, they would be thinking about the first five books of their Hebrew scriptures, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And yes, these five books do contain God's commandments, the Ten Commandments and, and other rules and regulations. But actually, they also contain this, the amazing history of Israel, of how God has revealed himself uh, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and his descendants. It's got this amazing history of how God rescued his uh, people who'd become slaves in Egypt and brought them to Mount Sinai, and there gave them the Ten Commandments, not as a way for them to get right with God, but as a way that they could live out what it meant to be his special people, because there at Mount Sinai, uh, they entered this special covenant agreement with God. He would be their God, and they would be his special people. And these commandments with all their privileges and their responsibilities. And these five books of Moses, these, the, the law, also contain God's wonderful promises. And the prophets, well, the prophets came after the law. And it tells you what happened next in the history of Israel. And God sent his messengers, the prophets, to basically call the people back to those original covenant agreement that they made because they kept going astray. They kept cheating on God. And God in his grace, through the prophets, kept calling them back to himself. That's what Jesus is referring to when he speaks of the, of the law and the prophets. And what was Jesus' attitude to the law and the prophets. Well, verse 17 of chapter 5 tells us this stunning thing. He hadn't come to abolish these scriptures. He'd come to fulfill them. Now, I want to show you how this is stunning and how this is significant for us today. And there's four ways I want to point that out. Four reasons why uh, having Christ at the center of your Christmas really is the reason for joy and is the best bit of the season, even better than the mighty bucket of the KFC. Because Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets, firstly, as it all points to him. It all points to him. This is the breathtaking claim. The whole of the Hebrew Scriptures, God's breathed-out words, are a big arrow all pointing to Jesus. All the way through the laws and the prophets, you've got these amazing promises of how God's going to fix this, this broken, uh, sin-cursed world. And Jesus proclaimed, I am the fulfillment. I mean, listen to these two quotes from Jesus. Jesus speaking to the Bible scholars of his day. John chapter 5 says this, You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them 
you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. You know what he's saying? Those scriptures testify about me, Jesus says. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. The whole of the Hebrew scriptures are there to tell you how to have life. And they tell you to have life by pointing to Jesus, he says. Verse 46, if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Absolutely breathtaking. And then Jesus speaking to two disciples after his resurrection. In Luke chapter 24, this is what he said to them. This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled. What is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. You see, every major promise, every category of the Hebrew Scriptures are fulfilled in Jesus. Here are some of the promises to Adam and Eve. After the serpent deceived them, God promises that from their offspring will come the serpent crusher. To Abraham, through his descendants will come one who will bring blessing to the nations. To Moses, the great lawgiver, he announces that another prophet like him will come and uh, will arise and they must listen to him. To David, that one of his descendants will uh, be the Messiah King who will rule in an everlasting kingdom promise after promise is laid up in the hebrew scriptures they build and build they get bigger and bigger and bigger and you know by the end of of the hebrew bible they're not fulfilled i mean that's the most stunning thing about the hebrew scriptures it's just a huge build-up that and it doesn't happen and jesus says i'm here to make it happen I'm the fulfillment. Every promise in the Hebrew Scriptures finds its yes in Jesus. Is this going to come true? Jesus says, yes. The serpent crusher, yes. The one who's going to bring blessing to the nations, yes. The, the one who's going to rule on the everlasting throne, Jesus comes out of the grave and says, yes. It's all pointing to me. It's all about me. And every category in the Old Testament, we get these amazing categories in the actual history of Israel so we can understand something about Jesus. The descriptions of this tabernacle and the temple, the sacrifices, the descriptions about the priests, about the feast days, it's all about Jesus. They're all to help us understand what Jesus would come and accomplish in his life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension to God's right hand. Every promise, every category, it's yes in Jesus. And Matthew's been making this point from the very start of his gospel. I mean, just turn back a page and you, uh, or two and you'll find the very beginning, a very long genealogy. What's that about? Well, it's showing how Jesus is connected with David and Abraham, the one who received these awesome promises. And then Matthew goes on to explain in chapter 1 how uh, this unusual conception uh, of Mary was to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah. Uh, look at uh, chapter 1, verse 22. 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Chapter 2, where Jesus would be born. Well, the, uh, the chief priests could tell Herod exactly the right place. Chapter 2, verse 5. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd the people Israel. Chapter 3. Uh, John the Baptist who prepares the way for Jesus, is there, it says, uh, verse 3 of chapter 3, this is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. And who's the voice in the wilderness? Who's he preparing people for? Prepare the way for the Lord, the Lord God Almighty. Make straight paths for him. And John, who announces Jesus, uh, Matthew says, that was the fulfillment of this passage. Over and over again, Jesus is shown to be the fulfillment of these scriptures. And if you're here today as a skeptic, it's at the very least interesting to consider what the probabilities are of uh, so many ancient prophecies coming true in one individual. Uh, Josh McDowell, in his book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, lists over 300 references to the Messiah in the Hebrew scriptures that were fulfilled in Jesus. 300. Now the chances, the probabilities of one person randomly fulfilling eight prophecies is one in 10 to the power of 17, which looks a bit like that. Uh, One man fulfilling 48 prophecies is one in 10 to the power of 157, which looks a bit like this. It doesn't happen very often. Do you get the point? It really doesn't happen very often. And there are 300 references to the Messiah that were fulfilled in Jesus. So even if you're here as a skeptic, I'm not sure it's true. That, at the very least, is quite interesting, isn't it? And maybe this is worth investigating a little bit more. So that's my first point. He fulfills the Scripture because it all points to him. Secondly... Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets as he perfectly obeyed it. God the Son came to earth to perfectly fulfill God's requirements. Here was the only man in human history who perfectly kept all the Ten Commandments, who fully obeyed all that God required in the law, who not only obeyed them in an external way, but deeply from his heart, he loved God with his mind, heart, and strength. He loved God and he loved his neighbor as himself. Where is our sinful nature most easily observed? I want to suggest to you it's in our words. Spend time with any one of us for about a day and you'll find fault is my guess. And yet listen to what Peter, one of his closest disciples, says of Jesus after three years of living with Jesus and seeing him go through significant stresses and strains. He says this in his letter in 1 Peter, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. 
When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Absolute, unblemished life. Sinless in his speech. Sinless in his life. After 30 years of, of living a, a, a life, a, a normal life as a carpenter in Nazareth, as he's baptized by John the Baptist, God declares from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets because he perfectly kept it all. And let me tell you why that's such good news. It, it's good news because he perfectly kept it all for us. This is the joyful news this Christmas. And my third point, he did it for us. He, he lived the Lord deeply and perfectly, and then he died to save those who had not kept the law and so deserved the condemnation and punishment that the law prescribed See, Jesus, the one who deserved to be spared all troubles because of his sinlessness, takes on our trouble, the trouble that we deserved. He bore the beatings that our disobedience deserved so that he can hold out the reward that he was due to us. He died that death that we deserved as people who fall short of the glory of God, who break his commands every day. He died that death that we deserve so that we can receive his eternal life. This really is just the most amazing good news. That's why the words of Jesus on, on the night before he was crucified was uh, were so precious, so precious, they just kept handing it on to, down to the generations. And so the Apostle Paul uh, recites them in 1 Corinthians, which was a letter that was written even before the Gospels. And it's why we still recite these words at, at communion, because they're so precious to us. He recalls that the, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. His body broken for us. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper, he, he took the cup saying, the cup is the new covenant in my blood. He's starting something brand new, a brand new agreement with God, and it's, it's brought about by his own precious blood that's going to be poured out on the cross. And he says, drink this cup, remembering this, my blood for you, my body for you. You see, God's law reveals our sinfulness, but it also displays his righteousness. And the wonderful thing about Christmas and the wonderful thing about this verse that he came to fulfill it all is that not only does he pay my penalty, but he clothes me in his righteousness. See, we, you can't get to heaven unless you're righteous. And if you're not righteous yourself, you better get some clothes that are righteous and be covered in those. And the point is that Jesus has offered us his clothes of righteousness. 
in the place of my lust and my adultery, Christ gives me his robes of purity and faithfulness. Against the sins of my anger, where I rip into people, I'm clothed with his righteous anger and with his peace. In the ways that my, my words demean and mock others, I'm covered in the robes of his kindness and his gentleness. His righteousness covers my sins completely because he came to fulfill it all. God made him who had no sin it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What reasons for joy this Christmas. And finally, and also very encouragingly, Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets in us you see when we come to God and say sorry for our sins and ask for his forgiveness made possible because of the death of Jesus he not only forgives us but he actually gives us brand new hearts that was the wonderful promise from Ezekiel that uh, Matt read out to us earlier this morning Ezekiel seeing the failure of what happened under the old covenant with Israel and with them in exile, promises that one day God's going to do this amazing thing. Let me read it to you again. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. See, what God is promising to do was that he would put the law deep into the hearts of his transformed and forgiven people. So not only would they be forgiven and cleansed, they'd have new motivations to obey God. God's law demands obedience. But in this new covenant that Jesus makes possible, he comes to fulfill it. He puts the law of God into the hearts of his people so that they will love to be obedient to God. Now imagine with me two types of babysitters. Uh, a bad babysitter and a good babysitter. Hopefully you've never had a bad babysitter. Uh, parents with had babysitters recently now are getting worried just thinking about that. Did I get a bad babysitter? But imagine this, ba this bad babysitter. Uh, the law demands that you're supposed to be uh, nice to kids, doesn't it? You can't hurt them or harm them. You're supposed to take good care of them. But as soon as the parents leave the house, the bad babysitter says themselves, I have no love for these children. I'm going to completely ignore them. And uh, you know what? I'm going to raid the fridge. I'm going to phone all my friends. I'm going to start wandering around the house and see what interesting things I can find. There's your bad babysitter. The good babysitter, in contrast, says this. I love these children. 
and I'll do the best job possible. Uh, I'll be patient and kind, and instead of, of, of stealing things, I'm going to look for ways to be helpful. You know, if there's a bit of uh, cleaning that needs to be done, I'll get the vacuum cleaner out, I'll, uh, I'll iron the shirts that need to be done. Uh, uh, you know, when those kids go to sleep, I'll just make the house look spick and span. Now, what's the difference? Well, it's all the difference in the world, isn't it, when the, heart, when, the, when, when the heart has got involved. When it's not about keeping laws. There's a heart that loves and that wants to do it. And this is what Jesus came to achieve, to bring about this new covenant relationship, to fulfill the law, and then to put the law deep into born-again hearts that love God and want to do his will. And God's word planted in our hearts, you know, creates much more obedience than the law ever could. You know, that's what Jesus, in a sense, the, these are the headline verses into the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus points out how this changes everything. So the law says, uh, from verse 21, you shall not murder. But then Jesus teaches his disciples what this transformed heart will, will mean. Yeah, of course, you're not going to murder people, but it's more than that. You're going to deal with your anger. Because murder starts with anger in the heart. And, and so his disciples are going to care about dealing with their anger in their hearts. And they're going to be quick to pursue people who are, um, have got problems with them, seeking to reconcile those issues, to, to pursue peace and reconciliation before the law courts come. And that's just one of lots of examples that Jesus goes through in the Sermon on the Mount of how he came to bring about fulfilling the law in, in the hearts of his people so that their righteousness would exceed that of the Pharisees that was just external. He wanted to put it deep in their hearts. So I want to say to you today, don't have a Christless Christmas. A Christless Christmas is a hopeless Christmas. Because it means I, I'm left condemned by a holy God. I'm a sinful person who's broken his commandments. And I'm left with my sinful addictions and my selfishness that, that harms me and harms all my relationships. But to come and know and trust this Jesus who came not to abolish the law but to fulfill it that means I can have great peace. My sins are forgiven. I can have great hope. Even today, as I look at all those things in the past week where I just messed it up in my relationships because of the dumb things I thought and said and the things I failed to do, there is hope that this new life that Christ wants to implant in us is still at work as I trust him and look to him and seek his spirit to keep changing and transforming me to make me more like Jesus. How wonderful to have this Savior who's taken the punishment for all my sins, whose blameless life is counted in my place before a holy God and a king who transforms my heart. My friends, that is the reason to be festive this season, when Christ 
is at the heart of your Christmas. Now look, if this is new to you and, and you've got loads of questions, we've got a bunch of free Christmas books. Just take one or two on the way out. And each one, there, there's a prayer at the back where you could turn to God and, and ask him to forgive you and get right with God yourself. Maybe you've got questions. Well, in the bulletin, you'll see that around the city, in the start of the new year, we've got these evenings called Glad You Asked in different people's homes. It's an informal way for you to ask any question you've got, and they address the big questions that people often come up with when they say that they're not sure about Christianity. What do you think about signing up for that? Just email the office to let them know. My friends, it, it's an uns- it, 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 it looked... Not an encouraging text, did it? But I hope you are really encouraged that Christ came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Praise God.